Thank you again for allowing us to come before your presence. Lord God, just in worship. And Father, we can all breathe a sigh of relief uh, that we can tell uh, that you in your spirit that you're here. God, we can tell, Lord God, that, that you have arrived, Lord God, uh, that you're trying to uh, teach us, you're trying to do a great work in our lives today, Lord. And we pray uh, for the spirit that continues to be stubborn in this place today, uh, that uh, the blood of Jesus Christ would bring brokenness. Uh, we come against the spirit, Lord God, that, uh, that wants to nitpick in an analytical manner, Lord God, or in resistance towards your word, Lord. Our prayer, Lord God, is that you would bring brokenness in Jesus' name. Uh, God, in all the strategies that have exalted itself against the knowledge of God, we come against that in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would break down strongholds, uh, those strongholds uh, that uh, resist the word of God, uh, that resist change uh, due to the Spirit's influence, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would bring understanding, that you would bring a celebratory heart, that you would bring conviction when necessary, Father. All at the same time, uh, keeping our hearts and our minds, Lord God, uh, anchored and laser-beamed in your word. So you move in our midst today. Uh, you break down all the walls, pull down the strongholds, all the imaginations uh, that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God, all those voices uh, that, that are saying uh, uh, that I can't even hear, that I'm not trying to hear that. Today, Lord God, we come against that in Jesus' name. And Father, may we be the stronger, the better, and the more pleasing because our openness to you today. So we love you, Lord God, and we thank you for all the things that you're doing in our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, please? Luke 19. Today, unfortunately, is our last installment in this series on authentic discipleship. I had planned on doing uh, at least one more, but uh, you know what happened a few Sundays ago. And uh, I was explaining to my wife, I think it was this morning, uh, as I was working on uh, uh, today's message, <clears throat> that today's message within itself, that this could have been uh, a series. <clears throat> because of what uh, the Lord is teaching me and how he is expanding things and revealing things to me and consequently to us as a church at the same time. So I'm praying for your undivided attention. I'm praying for your focus, uh, even though uh, sometimes you may get a little tired on the back end, if you know what I mean. I want you to focus your heart and your mind so much in the Word of God, trying to hear what God says, uh, that you're leaving all those other things behind. Uh, so today, receive God's Word. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. 
As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a, a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minutes and said to them, engage in business until I come. Now for now, we're going to skip verse 14 and we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Verse 15, please. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. We are responsible for each opportunity that we receive from the Lord. You are responsible. I am responsible. We all are responsible for each and every single itty-bitty large opportunity that God places in our path. Jesus, he's speaking this parable because we saw in verse 11 that people, they expected their world to immediately change because he showed up. You know, who wouldn't want their world to change because Jesus showed up? Oh, Lord God, uh, I need for this to happen in my life. And some people promise that if you come to Jesus, everything will change in your life. We all want our worlds to change when Jesus shows up. And not just change, oftentimes radical change. But also we saw, we saw in verse 11 uh, that, that Jesus, that uh, there is a reason why, specifically why, uh, he spoke this parable. Number one, it says in verse 11, because he was near Jerusalem. Number two, uh, because the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to immediately materialize. In other words, Again, Jesus, he showed up, and then all of a sudden, uh, things were going to change all over the place. They expected this man who did all this talking about the kingdom of God, that there would be immediate subjugation, uh, subjugation uh, and control over all of Rome, all the Romans and all the Gentiles and the Greeks. In other words, they wanted political change. It's like us saying to ourselves, you know, I know the next election is coming, uh, but Jesus, he shows up at the door and he has all the right talk and he's saying all the right things that we want to hear. And we say, uh, he would make a good president. So Jesus, he comes into the picture and we see him not as Lord and Savior, but we see him only as the president of the United States. This is kind of what was in the mindset of the people here. They wanted to see political change. But in verses 12 through 13 and also verse 15, we have seen very clearly that God delegates responsibility to fulfill his purposes. 
So the reasons why God gives us these little and large and medium-sized responsibilities is because of His purpose. God has not called you where you are. God has not entered you into the relationships that you are in just so you can have a good time. It is all about His purposes. Here in verse 12, we see that the nobleman, uh, that he had a great status before he departed. And this is one thing I want you to really take note. Because uh, we've already read the full parable earlier today. And we already know that there were some who did not like his rule. They didn't want him to rule over him. But the bottom line is that he already had a certain type of high birth and high status before he left going to receive a kingdom to himself. So his status or his mode of operation did not commence after he took care of a business in a faraway country. He was already that person from the very beginning. So his plan was to return home. He decided to go and receive that, that kingdom, then come back and, and, and go back home. So in verse 13, it says that he called ten servants. Some translations may say ten slaves. But remember that we cannot equate uh, slavery in America with the type of slaves that happened here. So let's get that out of our minds. It wasn't identical. Our pastor says that he called ten servants and he gave them one minute apiece. He did not give them ten minutes. And to us, when we hear the word minute, oftentimes it, 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 it sounds insignificant. Sounds like uh, maybe... This nobleman gave a servant chump change. But know that one minute was $750. Man, what could you do with $750? What can you do with one minute? Right? One minute was not one penny. It was about $750. So that means for all the servants that were there, uh, that they had $750 to expand the influence of the nobleman's business. He told them to take the minor and to do business until he returned home. This imperative was to the ten servants to take that was given to them and specifically to do what? To do business with it. (laughs) You know, it's very interesting that people today, they like to play semantics with words. They like to say, well, I know you said do business, but you didn't tell me what kind of business to do, so I decided to do this. Here's some people telling a nobleman in this story, you said to do business, but again, you didn't tell me specifically which, what to do with that money. But the bottom line is that uh, there is a required action associated with the responsibility of receiving any type of opportunity. What opportunity has God given you? What have you done with what God has given you? Have you squandered it? Or have you done business with with what the Lord has given you? How have we dealt with these opportunities that have been placed in our path? And I know that uh, you may not necessarily feel this way, 
But the bottom line, for every opportunity that we have, it is commensurate with our abilities. God doesn't give you more than what you can handle. Examine your hearts. Look at yourself. What has God given you? God will not give you more than what you can handle. And oftentimes, some of the enemies of us trying to do what we're supposed to do is that of comparison. That sometimes in our minds, we, we can't get things done because we are busy comparing ourselves with somebody else. We're so busy trying to figure out what they are doing that we can't do with the little that we have. And then when we bring that comparison, we say to ourselves, oh, 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 if only I had this. Only if I had what they had then, then I can move ahead. But the bottom line is, whether it's one minute or ten minutes, whether it's with the children that you have, whether it's with the church that you have, whether it's with the job or the house that you have or the car that you have, God has called us to go and do business. Also, our feelings, they may, be become, they may become a barometer of whether or not we take care of our opportunity as well. Well, you, you know, I know that God has called me to do X, Y, and Z, but I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not feeling it right now, so I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait because the scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So I'm just going to sit on it and I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait. Next thing you know, you keep on waiting, Jesus is going to be back, and then you're really going to be in trouble. Doing business until he returns means we have a delegated responsibility to accomplish God's work that he has assigned us. You have responsibility. I have responsibility. But also know this. Know this, not only does he call us uh, to deal with our opportunities that he's put place in our path, but also he rewards the faithful. God rewards the faithful. Verse 16, please. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minutes more. And he said to him, Well done. Good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Look at that. So for being faithful over $750, he gave him basic rule over ten whole cities. I call that a reward. Verse 18. And the second came, saying, Lord, your minna has made five minutes. He said to him, and you are to be over five cities. $750, and now he's ruling over five cities. Know that you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. 
All of the servants were called to give account for what they had been given responsibility. It's important to see that the noble man wanted to know what they had been doing while he was away. You know, uh, there's a saying that goes, when the cat is away, yeah, let's try to get, when the cat is away, and you know that uh, sometimes when your boss is not watching you, you know you're not doing what you're supposed to do, right? You know, kids, when you're in school uh, and, and you don't have a direct assignment to do necessarily, you know when your teacher turns their back or walks out of the classroom, you know you're not always doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? See, when the cat is away, the mice will play. These ten servants... They surely had personal business to take care of, don't you think? Don't you think that they had other things on their plate other than taking care of $750 for their master? But he says, look, take this money and do business until I get back. Yeah, they could have said, well, you know, I'm going to do this, but I want you to know ahead of time that I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this, I got to do that, and then when I get time, then I come to your business. How many of you treat the work of the Lord? That the reason that you do not enter into the things of God because you first have to take care of your business first and then what's left over you give to God. Guess what? When you take care of your business first instead of the Lord's business first, guess what? are the master and not God. If God is truly a priority in your life, he comes first. No, no question about it. You're going to hear more about this as we enter into this message. Maybe this guy had families. Maybe they were sick. Maybe he had parents to take care of. Bottom line is that when that noble man, when he came back, that there were a group of people who were faithful. The noble man's instructions were to do business, engage in business, take care of your business while I'm gone. The noble man, then he called his servants, and most of them responded with a return on the investment. Isn't that great? Isn't that great when you receive a bank statement in the mail and you've placed money away and you look at how much interest have I earned? And you say, isn't that great? But then if you have one of those kind of accounts, and I know some of you have some of those kind of accounts, that every time your bank statement comes back, there is no interest. You say to yourself, that bank, that, you know, uh, they're just up to no good. Expect for one that most of the servants they ended up with more than what they started off with. It's very interesting that the scripture says here in verse 17 it says, What? You have been faithful in a very little. Some of us believe in order to make a contribution to God's kingdom that what we do, it must be seen. Well, if nobody uh, see me, then I'm not sure if I really want to do it. 
Well, if nobody asks me to pick up a piece of paper on the floor, then you know I'm just not going to do it. You know, God's kingdom work is all expansive. Uh, we don't have to walk past a pew and see a, a piece of garbage in the pew and say, I ain't touching that. What we can do as members of God's kingdom is go get another paper towel and go and pick it up. Ain't nobody here necessarily to serve us like we're the master because we're not. God has called us to responsibility of all the opportunities that he has given us. Yes, picking up a piece of paper off of the floor can be a God moment. Figure that out. But this is the mentality, that mentality say that I must be seen. The mentality that says, I'm not going to do anything unless someone asks me. So that my works can be noticed by, by, by all. This is uh, the mentality that has a sure sign of the flesh. It is a sign of the flesh. And if you know anything about scripture, you know that the flesh wars against the spirit. So when we are of that mindset, and many of you are not, some of you I don't know, but when we are of that mindset, inside of us is this war raging on. Servant who gained ten minutes was celebrated because he was faithful in very little. In other words, the way that the nobleman, and remember that the nobleman, that this is a picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, the way that he was looking at this picture uh, was that, I'm going to give you just a little bit, and then you'll see what happens in the end. It's very interesting that uh, the, the nobleman, uh, that his success also breeded a reward for his servants. The nobleman's success, or Jesus' success, yields a reward for us. So as Jesus uh, has died upon the cross, and now where he uh, sits on the right hand of the Father in heaven, that know for us who are his servants, that that is, becomes a, a, a heritage for us. Eternal life. But not only that, we saw... Uh, that the servant, that he had given him a name of good. He had given him authority over ten cities. So, likewise, Jesus rewards us out of his blessings as well as the king. It is a blessing enough to know that we will be present with him in heaven. Amen? It is blessing enough to know that this world ain't it. Because we know that this world makes us sick and tired sometimes, doesn't it? It just makes us tired. People make us tired. Uh, the process makes us tired. Work makes us tired. Uh, sometimes your spouse make you tired. But it's nice to know that one day that we're going to be in this heavenly realm where we are at peace with God. Amen. So, so far we have seen that we are responsible for each opportunity the Lord gives us. And then also that the Lord rewards the faithful. But here's the part that some who has the, the mindset or the mentality of positive thinking uh, would probably leave this off. 
But we can't leave it off because it's part of the larger context. And for some of us, we may have been doing well, and God may be telling you, well done. God may be telling you, you have been doing a great job. We want to celebrate all your work in the ministry and in your life. But for some, God, he offers a rebuke. And that is, not only does the Lord reward the faithful, but he also rebukes the unfaithful. God rebukes the unfaithful. Verse 20. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. <laughs> For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not...
I don't want to hear that. What have you done with what I have given you? Because hopefully I'll already be in heaven. Amen. Wondering why well, look, I'd be probably around the corner. Look, ooh, I thought, I thought, I thought they were coming into heaven. Ooh, look at that. Look, look, look at Brother Swan. I thought he was okay. What, what, what? Uh, Elder Swan up there trying to argue with God? Man, and look, look, look at the Lord with that flaming sword behind his back with Elder Swan. And Elder Swan, the first Lord, and God is up there. Uh, uh, God is like, uh, man, I'm going to kill this sucker. Uh, just one more thing, one more thing, right? I, I can't help you. Can't help you. Regardless of where you are, your age, children's age, your work situation, if you understand the words of Jesus Christ, neutrality is not an option. There is no middle ground. Let your yea be yea or your nay be nay. Say yes to the Lord, to your will and to your way. I will trust you and I will walk and obey, right? Either say yes or just tell him no. Don't pretend. One of the reasons why the servant with the money offers so many excuses, I think in my mind because he was still expecting some reward. So he was probably listening to the conversation. Wow, for his one, he got ten. For his one, he got five. For his one, he got three. Or whatever the case may be. In his mind, he was thinking, well, if I offer an excuse uh, to uh, the nobleman, maybe I will still get a reward. So some of us, we, we come to church and we're so glad we do nothing for the Lord. But we come to church and that's a good thing too. Amen. And we say hallelujah, hallelujah. And then we go to heaven and we see a, a brother or sister so and so receive their reward. Come into the joy of the Lord. God gives, gives to us. You say, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to say the reason why I didn't do it is because this, that, and the other. And then surely he's going to forgive me. Imagine for a moment with me. You had a job, right? You do have a job, right, hopefully. And you were always late. <clears throat> and the assignments that you were given, uh, that they were never on time. And then uh, when you finally handed your assignments in, they were, they were, not, they were not on par. Uh, you had misspellings and you had all your information wrong. In addition, all the papers, they were all crumpled together. Looked like your dog had them. Or you had them in the back seat of your car. Looked like people had been walking all over your papers and everything. And then to top it all off, you send all this mess to a client of the company. So if possible, this went on for about a year. And after a year, you decide to approach your department head, your supervisor, your teacher, whoever it may be. And you tell them, Look here, uh, I've been with you for about a year, and I think it's about time that I get a raise. What do you do, what do you think that, uh, that supervisor, that department head, what do you think they'll say to you? But trying to figure out what's going on, knowing that uh, this supervisor is not happy, or this employer, you as employee, decide then that well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find me a new job. 
I'm going to find me a new job that pays me the right money and a new job where they respect me the way I should. You know, it's like that in church sometimes, too. That we think, uh, because I don't have everything and people not respecting me and all my mess before the Lord is not right, because they don't like it, then I'm just going to take my mess somewhere else where they're going to respect it. It's very clear that that worker needed a reality check and a swift kick in the backside. But this servant who hid uh, the nobleman's uh, money in uh, the handkerchief, he was condemned. This was not a joyous time. And I want you to remember this. If you forget everything else, right? God don't play games. If you think that you are getting by on uh, giving God the least that you have, understand that God does not and will not play games with you. He will not allow you to talk around the topic thinking uh, that uh, we will get him confused because of our much talk. And as we saw in the parable, our talk will do nothing but condemn us. In verse 22, what does it say? He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. And then didn't end there. He says, what? You wicked servants. So not just the unfaithful, right? Those who call themselves a servant of the Most High God, but also for the detractors as well. Here's the final one. He punishes those who reject him. God, he punishes it's clear. Scripture is clear. God punishes those who reject him. This is not a game. Verse 14 and then verse 27. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and do what? Speak to them? Man, this is Jesus. So meek, so mild. Jesus says, bring the enemies so they can be slaughtered. There are those who resist the authority of Jesus to rule. In this parable, the citizens, they hated the nobleman. In other words, Jesus was saying there were people who were hating him. But they obviously hated him so much that they did not want this man to reign over him. This was a rejection of him and his leadership. They didn't want anything to do with him. It's very interesting that during this time in the Roman Empire that King Herod had died in 4 B.C., and two of his sons, Archelaus and Antipas, that they wanted to become king. So what they decided to do was to go to Rome. So they went to Rome, and they were trying basically to lobby for the kingship. But there was a contingency of other leaders who had followed them there that basically said that we don't want you to become king. And in response, both, and this, is, this happened in real history in the Palestinian area, both of them were rejected as king. 
They were rejected. There is no doubt that there are some who do not and will not accept Jesus as their Lord. They don't want anything to do with him and will do anything they can to deny him his rightful place. But in our parable, the nobleman does rule with all rights and privileges afforded royalty. Someone who has the right and authority to rule the kingdom has the right and authority to command faithfulness among his subjects. If Jesus Christ is your king, he demands your faithfulness. Jesus not only has the right to rule in his own house over his people, but Jesus has the authority to rule over the entire kingdom of creation. Right? So, so it's not just over me and over this. Jesus has the right to rule over it all. The bottom line is that discipleship requires commitment. Discipleship requires discipline. It is something that you must continue to press through even when you don't feel like it, or even when all odds seem stacked against you. Discipleship means that when no one is looking, you are still able to do the right thing. You are able to maintain your focus on God's kingdom agenda in a world that opposes Jesus Christ. Two final things I want you to understand about our text today. First, Jesus will not always, he will not usher in his kingdom in a way that everybody expects. This is what we see in the text. This means that once we accept Christ, we must exercise patience as we wait on him. Right? Remember in, in, in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John uh, chapter 17, that Jesus, he never prays uh, to take them away. That as they're saved, remove them from this planet. That he keeps us here. Why? Because we become his ambassadors on this earth. Second, his disciples, you and I, are expected to actively be involved in the business of his kingdom while we wait. We are expected to be actively involved uh, in the business of his kingdom while we wait on Jesus to return. What is our mission statement? To proclaim the kingdom of God with an anticipation of Christ's soon return. In other words, we're doing business, what? Until what? He returns and he's coming back soon. Proclaiming the kingdom of God until he returns. In other words, not sitting around in our chair or in our lazy boy until he returns. But busy about the Lord's work. Being a part of his kingdom is not like getting a membership card to the health club, right, in which we whip out of our pocket and see, I belong to here or I belong to there, or I'm a part of this club or I'm a part of that club. It means that there must be active participation in God's kingdom. God's rule is regularly exercised through his agents on earth. See, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are extending God's rule everywhere. I want you to get that. If you are a disciple of Jesus, that you become 
part of God's kingdom rule in different places on the earth. Do you not understand that? That, 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 that means that in your life that you must be active of, about Jesus' business. Failure for a disciple to comply in that authority diminishes God's reach through us. No, it is not going to diminish his reach, but it's going to diminish his reach through us. And this is a serious offense. This is why the lazy and rebellious are dealt with so harshly in God's plan. Now, when you look at our passage, I want you to keep this in mind as well. On the one hand, you had people that didn't do what the Lord wanted them to do here in this parable, right? What do we call that? Let's try it again. When you don't do what God wants you to do, it's called what? And then, right, you have those who rejected him out and out, right? We saw that in verse 15, uh, verse 15 and uh, uh, verse 14 and verse 27. They just rejected him out and out. Check it out. What this is, is it is the spirit of the demonic realm working in your life. I'll say it again. So that means that when you, you're not doing what God calls you to do concerning his kingdom, or when you reject his plan out and out, you are an agent for another kingdom, and it is not the kingdom of light, but it is the kingdom of darkness. You are an agent of the devil. And that's why when you look at the parable uh, that the nobleman, he, he deals so harshly with them. Because they, like the devil did from the very beginning, what did he want to do? He wanted to establish his own kingdom. He wanted to be a star above God himself, that he wanted to have his own rule. And what did God do in response to the devil who rejected him, uh, to the devil who was rebellious and disobedient? What did God do to Lucifer? He kicked him out of where? Heaven. He kicked him out. You got to go. But you're like, well, if the devil is kicked out, well, one day he's on his way to hell, to the lake of fire. And again, if you haven't gotten this through my preaching before, get it now. The devil is not sitting as king of hell. The devil does not sit on a throne with a, port, with a forklift as uh, the king of hell, that he is being punished in hell. He doesn't want to be there no more than you want to be there. Don't be fooled. So when people reject and rebel against God's plan, it is with the same spirit of the devil for which they act. So, finally, the small opportunities we are afforded is preparation for greater things and rewards for our master. So I want to encourage you today to be faithful in your service to the Lord until he returns. As he rewards the faithful, rebukes the unfaithful, and punish the haters. Let's pray.